The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast. Hi, I'm Ian Collin from 360 Gamer and this is this week's gaming podcast. This week we'll be bringing you reviews of Superman Returns and Sonic the Hedgehog along with all the latest gaming news and we'll also be talking a little bit more in depth about games controllers past and present looking at particularly what we have on offer today. The AV Podcast Gaming News with Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Okay, first news stories this week then, following in the fine tradition of recent weeks. Um, it has to go along with the release in Japan of the Nintendo Wii games console. Uh, as with the, the American release, it seems to have gone quite smoothly. Apparently sold pretty much all of the 400,000 units that went on sale, which added to the 600,000 units that have apparently been sold in North America, adds up to a grand total of 1 million sales of the Nintendo Wii so far, which is by no means a bad launch, especially compared to the PS3 in America. Taking into account as well that the Wii goes on sale in the UK this Friday, sales are expected to be greatly boosted, and um, yeah, figures are expected to reach 4 million by the end of the year. That's an estimated figure. Depends on how well the UK gamers are going to pick up on it. I don't know whether you're going to be one of those in the front of the queue, Seth, or not. Basically going to be waiting um, to see what happens with the Wii. I will be absolutely honest, I remember only too well the GameCube uh, debacle a few years ago when um, they brought it out and we paid £150 and then they reduced it a month later by 50 and I'm not getting stung again. Well, there may well be one or two Christmas specials coming in, I'm sure. But uh, but yeah, no, well, seems, things seem to be going quite well for the Nintendo Wii. Um, bit of a rubbish launch lined up in the UK by all accounts, so I think um, the one launch event which has so far been tagged involves uh, HMV on Oxford Street, which has such mega stars as Ian Wright, Pat Cash, Ricky Hatton and Jody Kidd. Well, there's a sporting theme there, which they kind of pretty much linked into Wii Sports, but um, it's, it's thin and tenuous, and I figure that not a lot of people said, yes, I'll do it. Well, you've got a footballer, a tennis player, a boxer, and Jody Kidd, supermodel, kind of into racing cars a little bit, I think, so that's quite a tentative link into the sporting theme. But um, I'll be more than happy to see you there. Don't know about everybody else. I'm obviously talking about the Nintendo Wii and not Jody Kidd. <laughs> uh, in that case, I don't blame you. Right, PC fans who went and purchased Ark Lord, um, the MMORPG, are probably going to be absolutely ecstatic with the fact that Codemasters have decided to stop pay, uh, users having a subscriptions charge and are going to go to free to play. It's not a huge shock in some ways because the Ark Lord reviews have been less than enthusiastic. Now obviously they're tying into the market of games such as Guild Wars which are obviously free once you've bought the game as opposed to World of Warcraft, City of Heroes, City of Villains which are um, subscription based per month of around about eight to ten pounds i'm not sure if that's a good thing or if this is a, a good indication that people are beginning to realize that the more gamers they attract with the free to play service the better it is for them is there ways you see that they're they're going to make any kind of money up there's not going to be sort of in-game charges they're not going to be you know you're not going to have to pay out extra money to buy things in-game no as far as i'm aware it's not actually going to be the case and like I say, with Guild Wars, that's never been the case either. The, yeah. with, with the, the particular Guild Wars model was you buy the new episode, but the, the new episode is quite epic as such. The 
Arclord subscribers used to pay up for 3, 6 or 12 months and they'll actually get refunds for what they've already stumped up, which is good news if you actually were one of the three people who bought it. <laughs> so, from what you've seen, the game isn't all that great. Well, the, the problem with Arclord is it was based, uh, I believe, on a Korean um, MMORPG and Codemasters have already tried this once with one of their uh, other um, similar titles and again it, it didn't particularly fare well review wise and it didn't particularly pick up too many players most people were more interested in either playing World of Warcraft um, or they wanted to be superheroes in City of Heroes, City of Villains or they went for the free to play Guild Wars and just bought the expansion packs as and when and again you don't have to buy the expansion packs um, so I think that they realized that you know that, that particular model just wasn't going to work for them. They didn't get the people buying the game, and therefore, if no one's buying the game, what's the point in charging? True, but it's free, so as long as you've got the game, free. you haven't got a huge amount to lose apart from your own valuable time. Well, I think that's the thing. They're now making because they're making it free to play. I think they're hoping to pick up a lot more people um, to actually purchase the, the, the title and play. I think that's the big incentive, and maybe then, you know six months, 12 months down the line, they'll actually go back to subscription base once they've got you know, a, a, a user base set up. So just cunning. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it'll be quite important for them to get a decent product to go with it, though. I mean, a lot of other alternatives out there. If our Lord's not that good, then maybe people will be spending their time elsewhere. Yeah, but like I say, if you, if you can pick it up for, say, 15, 20 pounds off on, on the internet and it's free to play, you might give it a couple of months ago and you might like it, you might not. It, it, it's... You know, one of those games where it's down to the individuals you know, are concerned. Yeah. It's not a bad buy, £15, £20, you get a few months out of it. It's no worse than people to go out and buy a general console game, spend £50, and then, I don't know, sell it back to the game store for 20 quid two weeks later or something like that. Pretty much, that's, that's you know, very, very similar type uh, model, although, you know, PC owners, I'm not going to turn around and, and diss the 360 uh, owners, and, but I, I think PC owners are uh, not so much hardcore, but we, we play games longer in general yeah. terms. I think it's probably because you've got more used to playing games long for longer. Console gamers are generally short attention spans, I think. Yeah. Myself included, obviously. It's just, I want to be doing something now. And people don't want the Xbox to overheat. <laughs> oh no, that's true. Put a couple of hours in and that starts getting toasty. Start making your breakfast on top of it. Okay, what else have we got? Okay, one thing which may well appeal to a lot of people, maybe not always, or maybe not necessarily for the better, is that Little Britain, the most flogged merchandise on BBC television today, is um, going to be coming to uh, video games next year. Um, I think it was already pretty much nailed on to be coming out, but official confirmation has just has come through that it will be released for the PS2, the PSP and PC. Unfortunately, no Xbox, but I don't think I'm going to miss it all that much. But it does look like it could be quite good fun. It's got the original title of Little Britain, the video game. So put a lot of thought into that one. And basically, there's no major storyline to it. It's just a whole load of mini-games based around a large number of the characters that appear in the TV series. They've got David Williams and Matt Lucas do the voices. They've got uh, Tom Baker to do the voiceover. So it's certainly going to feel like the TV series. It doesn't... I've seen the screenshots and stuff like that, and it's, it's not going to be a classic game. It's not going to be a fantastic game. It's pretty much in there as kind of just like a fun little play around, almost like it's a, like an Xbox Live Arcade game. You're just going to get it on the cheap, get some friends around, play it, have a bit of a laugh. For one, you've got Lou and Andy 
um, you get to recreate the the diving board sequence. But guy in the wheelchair jumps off the diving board. Um, you get to have to do that a certain amount of times against a clock. This is a bit scary. Vicky Pollard on roller skates. That that doesn't really swing it for me in terms of a must buy. Just the idea of it just sounds a little bit sickening. <laughs> a nice idea is Daffid, the only gay in the village guy. Um, he gets to run over people on a bike who look slightly stereotypically gay. That looks like it could be a little bit excessive. Yeah, lots of other silly little games like that, which could be quite a nice little fun activity and almost certain accompaniment to a DVD, I'm suspecting, sometime in the new year. But if you're a little Britain fan, then you're going to be able to actually get a chance to, to play as your favourite characters. I can't add anything to that. It's, yes, I'm thinking it, it's, one of the, it's almost inevitable, judging by the amount that they've stretched the series in every other direction they possibly can. So, I mean, it looks okay, it could be a laugh. I can't see it selling for a particularly huge price. I'm thinking sort of maybe £20, something like that. I haven't actually got the official price with me. Um, but you can't charge full price for it, because it does look quite quickly done. Almost like a school project, more than a full-on game development project. So, I mean, it's going to repeat it every single day. You've got no choice but to play it from sort of 8 till 10 all the time. Oh, dear. Um... There was an interesting study that was announced this week where it was observed that an 80% increase in the number of Xbox Live users um, occurred in the first week following the release of six new Xbox games, one of which was Gears of War. No way. Yeah, I know, nothing gets past these people, eh? Uh, apparently, it was a huge spike in Xbox Live traffic as soon as this game was released. That's huge. I remember a very similar thing happened with Halo 2 which kind of fell into the same... I mean, it was massively hyped, but it was one of the massively hyped games that delivered a superb multiplayer experience, which is what Gears of War has done. I mentioned I covered the single-player game a little while ago, which I thought was fairly restrictive in many areas, but the multiplayer game I would give a massive recommendation for. So I can say that those all those people that have gone up have hooked up to Xbox Live and started playing Gears of War, and I'm sure most of them will be having a very, very good time right now. In fact, I might even go and join them. <laughs> uh, oh no, hang on. I haven't played Gears of War online. Um, I have had a go of the single player game and uh, didn't think it was too bad, although a little bit linear and, and, and uh, hand led along the way. Yeah, that's probably the major criticism of it, but then obviously, multiplayer, you can rip that completely out. You can just wander around, go where you like, and shoot the hell out of as many people as you possibly can, which is even better when you've got your mates involved. Bog standard deathmatch. Oh yes, can't go wrong with a little bit of deathmatch. Okay, oh actually, well, following on, marginally, in a, in a another survey that I've picked up on, um, not as particularly exciting, but um, a study by a guy at Nottingham University, uh, he's come to the conclusion after studying 7,000 people that 12% of people that play games online show signs of addiction, um, which Times sound scary, but then if you look at it the other side, that means 88% of people playing games online are perfectly okay, which doesn't seem all that bad after all. But yeah, he picked up on, uh, so I don't know, maybe between us we can do a list of one or two of these things that we might be carrying ourselves when we go online. Some of the addictive signs are modelled on symptoms of dependence syndrome, which are outlined by the World Health Organization, apparently. Contact them if you want to find out more. These include uh, things such as craving, tolerance, withdrawal symptoms, loss of control, neglect of other activities, and 
this needs to come inverted as such. It just says other negative consequences, which pretty much covers everything. Except and the apparently, ones. yeah, I was going to say there's great <laughs> addictive qualities of playing online. It's superb. And apparently, one in nine people showed at least three of these symptoms, which is quite a lot. Um, I'm going through the list and I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe once or twice, maybe. But yeah, so it appears that um, a complete lack of surprise that several people are addicted to playing games online. And even least surprising of all is that it finishes off with a footnote that says those affected, or those most affected, are those that play for longer periods of time, which I always thought was addiction in itself. I'm just amused with the one which is a, a, the sign of uh, addiction is tolerance. And it's like, yeah, but you've only got to you know, commute to London on the tube and you can be very intolerant. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. No actually, game most are required. <laughs> oh, actually, to be fair, most of that list just usually applies to a Friday night. You've got yeah, craving, right. tolerance, occasionally lack of withdrawal. Yeah, loss of control, neglect of other activities, and usually negative consequences. That's pretty much Friday night binge drinking, isn't it? Yeah. But then one uh, final footnote to that study as well, just if you're looking for a positive. Um, in addition to revealing these results, the, the lecturer involved, Professor Griffiths, his name. Um, he will also add as a footnote, he'll talk about the positive benefits of playing computer games, arguing that excessive gaming isn't always bad and that such behaviour needs to be put into the context of the gamer's life. So a big thumbs up for him on that count. I think you probably threw that one in there to keep his students happy. <laughs> Quite possibly. And that's the gaming news for this week. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. The world's longest-lasting batteries from Energizer. Energizer Ultimate Lithium take up to 630 photos in digital cameras, compared to just 90 with ordinary alkaline batteries. Perfect for MP3 players. Ultimate Lithium lasts up to five and a half hours longer and are ideal for when you're on the move. Chances are you're going to need batteries again this Christmas. Choose Energizer Ultimate Lithium. Energizer. It's what's inside that counts. Join the discussion at Europe's largest home cinema website. Log in to avforums.com. This week's Games Review. Okay, so this week uh, I've largely been playing Sonic the Hedgehog on the Xbox 360. Don't really need to explain the franchise too much, hopefully. Sonic has been around for quite some time and he's had quite an illustrious past over the past uh, previous 10 years or so. Um, but unfortunately the little spiky blue fella isn't aging particularly well. Sonic Heroes last game which um, played on the Xbox wasn't particularly great and if you're disappointed by that then I've got bad news because Sonic the Hedgehog is even worse. Bad enough that it's taken the, the name, Sonic the Hedgehog name as its title and then tainted that so badly. It's just in all round terms of gameplay this version of Sonic the Hedgehog just isn't any fun at all. Just to get the, the story out of the way before I start getting too negative early on, it involves Dr. Eggman, the standard uh, bald guy with a huge moustache, kidnaps uh, a human uh, character for the first time in a while called the Princess of Selena, or Selena, and it's up to you, Sonic the Hedgehog, to save her. Well, I say as Sonic the Hedgehog, because again, you get to play as several characters within the game. You start with Sonic, you soon enlist the help of Tails, and then you get Shadow the Hedgehog, and um, there's also a, a new character called Silver the Hedgehog. 
who operates in the same way as the, the other characters that you're more than used to, but this time uh, he's got uh, telekinet telekinetic ability, so he can actually move things with his mind, which is, you know, it's a, a good enough sounding idea. It works well in theory, adds a new concept to a character perhaps, and it works in places, but then when it comes to just moving things that you know need to be moved and it just becomes more of a, a tedium, tedious chore rather than uh, an exciting and intriguing piece of the gameplay. Um, you start playing a Sonic, you have to defeat him, which is it starts off seeming like an exceptionally difficult piece of work. But then once you get the hang of the character, it becomes exceptionally easy. And the game tends to, to fluctuate between these kind of really easy and re really difficult moments for the rest of the game. The one thing for me that uh, the Spalding makes it most annoying is the fact that it is surprisingly easy to die in this version of Sonic the Hedgehog. You have a, a set number of lives and then if your energy runs out through collecting rings you lose a life but um, most annoyingly is that it's very easy for you to fall off ledges just to drown in small pools of water whatever things like that because the camera angles are, are really poor so you can be running along lose track of where you are for a second you don't know there's a ledge coming up ahead of you you can't see it until the last minute Bam, you hit it, you're over the edge, you're in the water, you've got to go back about two, three minutes worth of gameplay and play it all over again because there aren't no save points either. It's just all um, checkpoints um, where you lose lives. If you lose all your lives, you have to go back to this a centerpiece within the game, a, a town or a central hub, um, which operates um, pretty much like it does in s several kind of walk through adventures where you have a central town, you walk around it, you meet people, you go off on side missions, none of which are particularly great and most of which just involve running around really fast, which is the Sonic way, but there's not a huge amount of variety within there for you to have more fun than, I don't know, about 15-20 minutes worth until it just becomes a chore where you're just getting these missions done because you have to. It's just, it's this and then there's several other little annoyances as well. It is incessantly loading, so you just it loads one cutscene which looks like it could be taken from in-game so it's not exactly a high quality cutscene it's loads of little snippets of that that are linked together by loading times yeah and as well as these poor loading times as well like I've mentioned before the cameras uh, are another quite big annoyance with it this time around it's something that's been a problem with Sonic before because it's quite difficult to get the blend of speed and the cinematic so it looks and feels right at the same time as you're playing through it but this time it seems to seems to have got it wrong across the board um, for one the horizontal axis is inverted so if you move right on the controller Sonic turns left and vice versa which it's okay up and down you can I can maybe get to grips with it if I'm flying a plane going uh, on the vertical axis horizontal axis it's it, it just feels wrong and no matter how long I've been playing it for I still can't can't quite get used to using it you find yourself almost stopping turning and then running because you know that if you take a wrong turn you're going to clip a ledge you're going to hit some water you're going to die and you've got to go back and start all over again so you you have to kind of take your time you have to bide your way through it and with the cameras it just it slows the whole game down so that even though Sonic is primarily about speed you don't really get a chance to feel it as much as you should and then there are a few times when you do finally hit that speed not necessarily through Sonic Speed himself but through various little uh, speed boosts and ramps that you come across during the game and then you kind of feel like you lose control slightly so it's, Sonic is out of your control 
and all you can do is just kind of veer him slightly left and right as if you're being propelled through water in which case uh, the controls just become a little bit too difficult uh, you lose the sense of speed because you lose the sense of control and um, it's just it's this and there's just so many little things it's very hard to pick out any real positives about the game simply because so many annoyances throughout it which will just hinder every small piece of enjoyment that I've had from the game you pick up a few cool uh, moves get some good little attacks together some of the maneuvers you can pull off you know jumping from ledges to ledges sliding down barriers and jumping through various hoops and rings and so on and so forth can be quite good but then just a few seconds around the corner you're gonna get hit with camera issues loading issues just usually impending doom that you don't see coming until the last possible second and all of these just for me add up to be one massive disappointment I'm sure that there'll be several Sonic fans maybe long-term Sonic fans who will be willing to stick it out be happy to stick it out got a lot of love for the guy and may well be able to get a little bit of mileage out of it but me I was quite happy to stop playing it and do something less boring instead I'll give it 3 out of 10. I know people might give it worse, some people might give it better, but so I'll give it 3 which seems to be, it's saying that it's rubbish but giving it scope for people to at least be able to drag a little bit of entertainment from. Well this week I've been playing Superman Returns on the Xbox 360, obviously a tie-in to the movie and it was delayed by some considerable time. Originally it was scheduled to come out in the summer when the movie came out, unfortunately it has been put back and it's now out now to tie in with the DVD release. Amazingly you play the game as Superman and initially you start off on the bog standard tutorial. The tutorial is to get you familiarised with the various controls. For starters you obviously have to learn how to jump up and fly and then you have to know how to use your heat vision, your freeze breath to actually do various things. Now the way that you actually do this in the tutorial is that uh, Metropolis is being bombarded by a load of meteors and you have to put out fires and stop the meteors and if the meteor is a hot meteor then you have to use your freeze breath, if it's a cold one you have to heat it up to make it explode and initially it's very frustrating if you forget to actually pay attention to the tutorial like I did and lock on to um, the actual meteors and you'll find it a lot easier to actually destroy them. Once you get past that, you're then thrust back into Warworld where you have to take on various combatants before you get back to Metropolis and get into the main crux of the game. And the problem I had, more than anything else, was the controls. Although there are many permutations of controls that you can change to, I've not actually found a set that I can get on with. And it's always just at the end of the level as you're facing the very final big boss that I always seem to have the problem. I can defeat everything up until that point and then I come a cropper. And it's purely because of the control mechanism. In the, that particular boss that I, I'm stuck on, you have to pick up items, rotate to lock on and then throw them at him. But no matter what you do, he's always the complete opposite way of where you are. And what starts off as an entertaining game where you're Superman becomes an exercise in complete and utter frustration. Now, graphically, it's very good. However, I put a caveat on that because I did notice a little bit of jerkiness and slowdown. This is m primarily when the screen gets particularly busy. As long as it doesn't get completely busy, it's perfectly fine. However, you will notice it even at 1080i. Sonically, it's very good. It has a nice rousing soundtrack akin to the movie, and the surrounds are used particularly well. However, the biggest downer of this at the end of the day is the game and the amount of frustration that you'll have when playing it. 
like I say, I, I liked it. It was a problem to get past that point, but I would still score it a 7 out of 10. It is entertaining, but it has got caveats. Brought to you by AV Forums and AVPlay.com. Oh my God, is there nothing you people can't do? This is the AV Podcast. Okay, so the one thing we're going to talk about this week um, is to do with uh, video game controllers. I say this just because we've got the Nintendo Wii hitting the UK this week, um, which obviously has its uh, highly original control system. Um, so we figured we'd have a look back, maybe look at one or two other control systems that have worked in the past and what you guys may have to play with at the moment. Seth, I know we're going to have to go back just a little bit old school first off, just to get some of the, the original uh, handheld controllers out of the way. I don't know what your first memories are of playing with video games. Oh, my first memory is so, so long ago. You've obviously got the arcade games. So you've yeah. got um, things like Space Invaders, etc. that I've used, or Pac-Man, that used to have the little, the, the little joystick, and it really was a little joystick. Yeah. Um, or it was just the uh, sort of two buttons for left and right and a fire button. Happy you days. Ah, oh, happy days. Then you had, um, say, Missile Command with the rollerball, the trackball. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember, if you actually ever remember seeing one of those. I have Marble Madness. Uh, it used to drive me nuts because it needed inch perfect precision or millimeter perfect precision. That, that's it. I, that was, I got uh, blisters failing on that. Not the not the best controller, but it suited missile command perfectly well. Yeah. Um, so I'm just I'm just thinking of things like Defender. If, if I don't know if it, uh, most older gamers will remember, con- you know, um, the the, the coin op Defender, which was loads of buttons everywhere. Um, and that was the always thing that put me off of that was there were so many different buttons. Yeah. Um, you know, one for hyperspace, one for fire, back and forth. And, oh, it was, yeah, really, really complicated. Uh, for the time, it, it was well ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, and then you start getting the paddles for things like Pong, and then you had light guns become out. Um, you know, everyone remembers light guns from things like uh, House of the Dead and Virtual Cop, but there was a few before that in terms of consoles. Yeah. Uh, sorry, not in terms of consoles, in terms of coin-ops. So you've, you've got all these different variants um, in, in terms of coin-ops, and then they started introducing it to the home. So, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, depending on where you came on board in, uh, in terms of your gaming, um, you might have had a, a Spectrum or a Commodore 64 or something like that. You either had the button bashers, which were for things like um, track and field and decathlon, where you yeah. would hammer your keyboard into submission, um, or you went and bought a joystick, and then it was one of those horrible decisions of what joystick do you buy? And everyone bought things like the Quick Shot too, because it was the only one with the, the proper trigger finger and the, the sort of the grip handle. That was a classic. It was absolute classic. It was, but it didn't take long for it to break. Unfortunately, no, if you, you were couldn't using play track, track and field, and field. <laughs> you could. I got one. Um, it was pretty similar because you got the just the standard one with just like a, a central stem that comes up with a button either side, and it had a round top to it, so you could actually put your palm on top of it to you're play talking, track and field with. You're thinking of the Competition Pro, I'm sure, or one of the variants. It was, oh, it was like the original arcade ones, which was, as you say, it had like a ball on the top of the handle. Yeah. And it had the, the you either depending on the model you either had a central fire button because it was it was sculpted round to a point so it was fine for left or right handed play, or you had the square based or sort of rectangular based one which had the two yellow buttons left and right depending again on what hand you were 
Uh, I can't remember the the model. It had two um, buttons. Um, it was had oh, a square so base. Odd, <laughs> yes, it would have been the Competition Pro. As uh, I had one of those, they were brilliant. They were if if you didn't have one of those because it was micro switches. Remember the big deal about having micro switches in your joystick? Oh yeah, they were exciting when you heard them click. Man. That's it. Oh, sad, isn't it? Um, <laughs> happy days. You know, I've still got that day. joystick. I've still got my Amiga. Uh, 1200 from Happy Days Gone By and I've still got that choice. But that was the best thing he's, uh, he says reminiscing about having the old, you know, this Commodore 64 Vic 20 joy joysticks is they were exactly the same on Amigas. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could just plug it in and it worked. It was great. Um, oh, those days are gone. Um, but now we've got so many more things that we want to be doing with games. We need bigger and better controllers. That's it. Well, we, you go to depending on which way you sort of veered off. If you went to, if it was an Amiga or Atari, you had, you know, the de facto joysticks that we've just mentioned. If you had a PC, you had nothing. Um, you had it because PCs at the time were, were, let's be honest, crap. You had to buy all sorts of things to get them to play games. You had to buy a joystick card or a sound card if you actually wanted to partake in but in games and let's be honest what was there to choose from you Not know games on the pc were, were were very few and far between until you started getting to the wolfensteins and then dooms um, yeah. but you're you're getting to the um, sort of 386 the 486 chips that sort of era god i sound really old now um but then pc games were always good just because of the way that they gradually were integrated into the pc they were always geared towards the mouse and keyboard primarily hmm. Or, well, keyboard specifically, and then the mouse as things developed, because that was how people were most used to using their PCs. Well, that's it. A lot of the games at the time for the early PCs were things like the text-based Infocom adventures. Yeah. Where you just typed, you know, go north or N or whatever, um, and, and that was it. I love reminiscing over this stuff, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> go to the other side, you know, you're getting the things like the, um, the original NES console from Nintendo. You've got yeah. the, uh, the Master System from Sega. Those were the two big consoles. Um, and they had, you know, the, the bog standard, what, you, what we would look now as the earliest joypads, which was basically the, the standard um, up-down left right control on one side and an A and a B button. Yep. That was it. That's all you needed. And if you were lucky, a start button. <laughs> Ooh, three buttons on one joystick. Oh, what days how, they were. How can how can we cope with all that interactivity? But that is basically what you had. So, you know, you've, you've basically just got one control pad for your left hand, because it was always the control pad was always on the left hand. Um, and the button, fire buttons were right, A and B, or 1 and 2. So I used to get really convoluted sometimes. I just, some games I couldn't, because I'm left-handed, and sometimes I couldn't just do it the other way around. So I, was, I can't remember a specific game off the top of my head, I can't remember what it was called. But yeah, there was one where I just kind of had to uh, hold the pad down on the floor, use the joystick with my right hand, and then just hit the buttons with my left, just because I couldn't get any speed up to hit the buttons quick enough with my right hand. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound... Really familiar. But, you know, moving on, then we had um, the next wave of consoles, which would have been the Sega Mega Drive and the imaginatively titled SNES, or Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah. Now, the, there, I've got this is where I have to desperately remember the, the, the actual pads. The Mega Drive had your up, down, left, right, and it had four, which was an A, B, X, Y. No, I'm lying. That was much later when Street Fighter came out. We had the six-button version. We only had the three-button version originally when the Mega Drive came out. The SNES had the four buttons, which was the uh, the traditional sort of diamond shape with the uh, red, yellow, green, blue, if you remember. Yeah. And they were brilliant pads. 
They were brilliant because they were practically indestructible. I actually know this to be true because I threw one at a concrete floor um, after um, feigning to beat somebody in Street Fighter 2 and all it did was put a small hairline crack in the plastic. Still worked. But no. forever a souvenir. <laughs> you remember that time? Every time you look at that pad now, you remember the time you lost on Street Fighter 2. I, I, didn't, I didn't technically lose, I just couldn't beat the guy and got frustrated. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a single player game, just couldn't beat Vega. Um, and it was really bugging me. And it was a really good, really solid pad. Like I say, the Mega Drive one, if you, if if my memory serves me well, they, they changed it from the, the traditional three button to a six button version. And if, if memory serves, it was for one of the beat em ups. It was either Street Fighter 2 or it was for Virtua Fighter when it came out. So everybody that went and bought you know two pads to play on your console went and bought another set of pads because it had the extra buttons, which you didn't need to, but it really made life easier. I'm probably the only person who remembers all this stuff. It's but really I'd... embarrassing. No, I never got into the big... the. I never got into the fighting game, so I never had the need to really go off and uh, start looking at the pads that were packed full of buttons and options. At the time, I was still playing, probably sticking with my Amiga and playing rubbish football management games at the time. Uh. So I didn't really... Uh, the, the attraction of getting my hands onto pads with loads of options didn't really appeal as much. I was <laughs> kind of quite content, but then after a while you start to realise that the games that you're playing are rubbish and the games that everybody else are having much more fun with on much bright, much brighter, more colourful pads are oh, a lot better, so you kind of want to get yourself a little piece of that. I see. Well, going on to better things and more colourful things and, and, and sort of more involved things, yeah. you know, the next evolution was the PlayStation, the original PlayStation um, controller, which wasn't a million miles away from what we've got sort of now for the PS2. Yeah. I mean, originally it was again just the up, down, left, right. You f the, the basic four buttons there, you select start on the top, and you had two shoulder buttons. Shoulder buttons were a big thing for me. That's it. Now, if you remember, again, if you were a PlayStation 1 fan, and, and I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, because of Ridge Racer, it, you could buy, um, there was a, a something called the Neocon pad, and it had an analog stick. And then they brought out like the Revision 2, which had the analog stick that you could use for Ridge Racer games. And I've lost Ian now, he's going, no, no still, I'm just... still before my time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going along with it, I'm thinking, yeah, I can kind of remember that, but I can't chip up with any kind of intelligent and incisive comment that's going to back me up. <laughs> well, we'll move a bit forward, because the progression of that one was the PlayStation 2 pad, which most people know and love. Which was yeah. basically four shoulder buttons in total, two on the left, two on the right. Um, again, the same four buttons on the, the actual pad, select start, um, the, the normal control pad, plus you had the two thumb-based um, analog sticks. Yep, and it was the thumb-based analog sticks that foxed an awful lot of people. That's it. Two sticks, what's going on? 3D environments, no. It, it, it does take, well, I don't know, I, I think I picked it up quite quickly. I know a lot of people, or well, some people still weren't very comfortable with the fact that you could sort of it, it felt really weird that you could make yourself move around in all these particularly different ways and that you could control your movement and the direction around you as well at the same time. It's a bit nauseating, I think, at first. And then when you've got the two uh, buttons as well, it's sort of, it, all of a sudden you've got so much in your hands and it was like, what do I do with all these things? I was used to like one central column and a button to hit as fast as I could. That's why you I always hear like, people go, oh, yeah, I'm all fingers and thumbs, because you literally were. Yeah, that was when I actually started having to read instruction manuals. 
Now, if you remember, the Xbox basically, you know, I, I, I hate to say the word ripped off, but effectively it ripped off the same pad. It was a very, oh, yeah, very, similar, very similar controller because it was the sort of the standard. Yeah. But if you think about, um, say, the GameCube pad, yeah, or Which... the or, or, or the N64 controller, yeah, very, very different in terms of the general approach. Um, if you think of the N6, uh, the N64 controller, again, you had the normal buttons over one side, you had thumb, uh, sort of shoulder buttons as well. But if you remember, you also had it because it was sort of like a, a, a trident type shape. It was three parts. In the centre, you had the analog stick, but you also had the trigger finger button as well underneath. Oh yeah. So okay. even back then, Nintendo were being pretty innovative with their controllers. Yeah. You know. Then, if you think about it, with the GameCube, they brought out the WaveBird, which gave you the wireless um, more than anyone else. I, don't, I think they were the first ones with the wireless pad, and um, basically Microsoft and Sony thought, bloody hell, that's a good idea, um, and, and, and basically brought their own wireless controllers out, which is where we come to sort of full circle on the consoles now. If you look at PS3 and the Xbox 360, we now have wireless controllers as standard as opposed to wired ones, because let's face it, Wires were always a major problem. Wireless is where it was at. I think they had to make give the Xbox a long wire just because the console itself was so hot you couldn't sit that close to it. Oh, the Xbox wasn't that bad, bless it. Well, the original Xbox. Kept your feet warm. The, the, the 360 one, yeah. You don't need central heating, you just put the, the Xbox in the middle of the room. Um, but if you take the Wii controller, not only has it gone from you know the, the progression that they originally had in the um, the GameCube with the wireless, you know, it now has motion sensors. Um, um, this is where you know Wii is really kind of pushing the boundaries, I suppose, of interactivity. Please it's certainly a... to jump in. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, man. I, I, I didn't want to interrupt or anything. I mean, the thing that uh, that gets me with the the Wii controller. I mean, because it is almost entirely interactive. You know, you're moving through the whole time you play the game. It's it maybe takes an edge away from where the like Nintendo's usually had quite a, a fine tradition of being just a fun, kick back, have a laugh kind of game. But all of a sudden, you've got people standing up in their living rooms. You know, kids aren't going to be able to have necessarily an entirely quiet play around on the Nintendo. If their mum's trying to do something quiet in the corner and they're swinging their arms about and boxing an invisible man, it's sort of it's. I don't know. It's. I think it's a great idea, and I think it really does work well. You see it in a lot of games, but it's sort of. I don't know. Do you? It might be a little bit too much. Do you think? It's a real tough one. I, 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 I tend to think of it more as it's not really for little kids anymore. I think Nintendo finally worked that much out with the GameCube when they thought, you know, they were bringing out the Marios, they were bringing out the Zeldas, and then against, you know, completely against the grain, they brought out Resident Evil. Yeah. You know, that was not a Nintendo game, but it worked, and it worked real well. Um, and everyone went, whoa. Nintendo do adults now. Eternal Darkness, before that, Nintendo, you know, are bringing out a bit more adult-orientated game. With the Wii, they're actually looking beyond kids now and thinking, let's get the family involved, you know, four people, you know, your, your typical family unit is two people, two adults, two kids, you know, four, yeah. that's four controllers. Let's get everyone involved, you know, things like the Wii Play Tennis, where you can have doubles, you know, mum and dad can, you know, go against the kids, you know, and all look prats in the living room. Um, as long as you've got a big enough room, you yeah. live in a small little flat, you're going to be hammering the hell out of each other. But it, you're going to be real arm, real forearm smashes in the face. 
I'm still, we should, there should be a national sweep saying into how long it takes for the first tabloid newspaper to run a story about how somebody got injured playing on the Nintendo Wii. It's going to be at least one a week, I reckon. Yeah, it depends on the paper. If it's if if if, if it's a normal tabloid, it'll be uh, a couple a week or two. And if it's the yeah. Sunday if it's the Sunday sport, it will be Martians have stolen my Wii. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe just a tour. Oh, it could just be a passerby, somebody who couldn't get one. And I'm sure that people will take to it soon enough. There might be a lot of dead arms and dead legs and stuff like that, and people with sore limbs after a couple of hours of playing on it. But um, but no, I I, I can see that one working. Uh, PS3 is going to need a lot more games that make much better use of the the controller than what's currently lined up for it. Yeah, I, I like I say, not not going onto the you know which consoles the better debate, but it, again, it seems that you know in, so, in terms of the controllers, in terms of the uh, innovation, it still seems like Nintendo are just pushing it just that much more. They've you know they they, they got a, an eye on the games and an eye on the on the gamers and the community, yeah. but they're, they're they're still thinking you know how can we push this you know how can we make it more interactive how can we make it more fun how can we do you know where else can we go with it and when you realise that once you've gone from you know putting a, a you know three different sticks five hundred buttons you know taking the cord away and making it wireless where else can you go motion was the next thing. Yeah, it's either that or you end up with about 500 light gun games and I never got to grips with those I was rubbish with the light gun never got it it's like the whole list of controllers that can just that have been pushed to the side in this whole list that we've been running through steering wheels no I, I could not be doing with those at all especially when they come with pedals I, I, I can't play a racing game with them, it's pointless, I just crash all the time. Yeah, I don't know why, could. it's weird, you'd have thought playing with a wheel, playing with a real thing would be easier. But no, I prefer playing with two little sticks with my thumbs on instead. It doesn't have the feel, I no. think that's what it comes down to. They're always you far too sensitive. You turn it's the wheel just... in a car and you, you, you've got the right, you get a feeling of yeah. how you're turning it, so it's much more. But you you turn a wheel on, even if it's a, a force feedback based wheel, you sort of you turn it, it, it just doesn't have the, the feel. And the no. wheels are the wheels are never the right size either. It's like no, a go car wheel. I don't I don't know about you, but my, my the steering wheel in my car isn't that small. No. So no, I, no I can't get on with those either. You know, and the and the pedals and you know it's like always always two pedals on the game controllers. Which is great if you've got an automatic, but I've got three pedals on my car, you know. <laughs> But if you you look at things, oh, what was it? Um, Super Sprint in the arcade. I think that only had one. It had accelerator. You wanted to stop, you took your foot off the accelerator. Yeah. yeah. It was complex. That was it. It was really <laughs> complicated. Ah, uh, Super Sprint was a good game. Anyway. But the, the the point is, is you know, it seems that Nintendo are the ones that have been progressing the ideas forward. You know, in terms of the controllers. You know, be it the four buttons, um, the analog sticks. The little things that they've they've done along the way have influenced the other manufacturers every time. Yeah. Just um, a case of who can copy them first and get away with it the best. That's it. Not you necessarily know. get away with it, but you see what I mean. I, I, w I would love to have laid money on the fact that if Nintendo had just released the Wii and not said anything about the controller, PlayStation 3 wouldn't have had motion sensors. It would have been an add-on, and I bet you Microsoft are thinking how they can incorporate it next. Yeah, I'm sure there's well, there almost certainly have people working on something somewhere, but I, I don't know how much of a rush they'll be into to integrate it. I'm sure we'll see something. 
Come, there's going to be more developments. We can't That's sort true. of assume that things are going to stay as they are for the next few years. So what's next? What's up? What, what can we do after motion sensor? I want... I don't know. This is just into the rounds of sort of... I don't know. Uh, science fiction, almost virtual reality. I want giant touch screens. No, not like little tiny DS screens. I want big, huge giant screens. You can wear little gloves and stuff with and move your hands around. Like a minority report, Tom Cruise doing the whole hands all over the place thing. That you kind of, that's just me. I want, I want to have a wall that I could use as a console. <laughs> but yeah, that's just me being quite extravagant and over the top. Yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting for the day where they realize that there's there's going to be some mileage in having um, a controller for for beat 'em up games, um, where you you punch it and the, the the punch that you actually you know hit the controller with is relayed into the game as how hard you would have hit your opponent. Yeah, and that is sort of a, a, a very strange version of force feedback. The more force you exert, the the more damage you do on screen. I, I, I remember the arcade game of Street Fighter 2 had, or was it Street Fighter or Street Fighter 2? It might be the original Street Fighter had the four punch buttons. Yeah. I, I don't know if you actually ever saw it. The, the console it was a huge console, and you had two, uh, uh, two red and two blue ones, and you actually punched them because you couldn't press them. They were, you had to punch them. And the problem is, is you really hurt your hand, um, and it didn't matter how hard you hit them. It was only to make contact with the button that was underneath. Yeah. Um, but you could see people really pounding the console, and it made no difference. Um, and you know, you really hurt. You know, you know, you come away and your knuckles are red, and you thought it was great. You were paid a pound, a pound, a, a pop, for the privilege of you know, inflicting pain on your fists. <sighs> Those are the days. I don't think I'd want to be associated with performance-related controls. <laughs> I prefer to put I prefer to have I, I I let my head think what I wanted to do and hope that my hands correspond. I don't want anything I don't want the, any kind of console relying on my own personal physical performance to aid my gameplay. Because especially I, if I it wouldn't was virtual Jenna. Sorry? <laughs> I said especially if it was virtual Jenna. Yeah. I'll explain that to you later. If, I've sure got an idea. Know. I'm sure oh, oh, then know. that's that's a whole control pad that, that could uh, Backfire. Quite happily, I'm sure. Should we end it there? Yeah, I think we better. I've got to go and feed my 12% addiction. Okay, well, I think we'll have to call it quits there on our roundup of uh, video game controllers, past and present. Thank you very much for your help there, Seth. And that's all for now. We'll be back for, with more next week. For up to the minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. Okay, so that's it for this week. Thanks a lot for listening to this week's gaming podcast. I've been Ian Collin, and I'll be back with more of the same next week. So until then, keep those joysticks waggling. Goodbye. The AV podcast was presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.